Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Starve Rock Murders. I'm your host, Andy Hale, and I've got my trusty sidekick, Whitney Braun, with me today. Whitney, good morning. Good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, I think hopefully I uh, am a little bit peppier today than I was yesterday. Uh, I'm end of year bug. And so this is uh, this is very healing for me to come and get back on the podcast with you. I don't think this about- is going to be very healing today. Uh- uh, well, yeah, I suppose you're right. <laughs> Last week, I recorded an episode. Uh, it was kind of spontaneous, so I uh, wasn't able to get you on here with me. When I found the news that the Will County State's Attorney's Office was not changing its position, and its position's been, you know, they're not going to vacate Chester Weaker's conviction. So I recorded an episode that same day. It was literally a week ago. Uh, it was December 22nd. Today's the 29th when we're recording this. But I wanted to, this is such an important topic, this issue of genetic genealogy, the results that we got, and Will County's basically refusal to do anything. Uh, this deserves a part two. And I wanted to do the part two with you because we can't just let it go. So I want to continue the conversation. I've got this episode broken down into four parts. Let me start with part one. And feel free at any point, jump in whenever you want. Interrupt okay. me, it's fine. <laughs> so I've talked about this before. And there's an Illinois Supreme Court rule. I've got it in front of me. Illinois Supreme Court rule 3.8 is titled special responsibilities of a prosecutor. And let me read you rule 3.8 G2. The duty of a public prosecutor is to seek justice, not merely to convict. The prosecutor in a criminal case shall, colon, and then we go to G, when a prosecutor knows of new, credible, and material evidence creating a reasonable likelihood that a convicted defendant did not commit an offense of which the defendant was convicted, the prosecutor shall, part two, part two, little two, undertake further reasonable investigation or make reasonable efforts to cause an investigation to determine whether the defendant was convicted of an offense that the defendant did not commit, okay? That's the duty. That's the duty of the Will County State's Attorney's Office. That's the duty of James Glasgow. And can I throw in a semantical distinction here in case anyone missed it? Um, It said shall, shall, not can, not can, not might, not uh, if they want to. It says shall, which to me implies that you have a duty. Right. To conduct an investigation, to conduct a reasonable investigation. And in my opinion, All Will County has been doing in the last three years is playing defense, is being the hockey goalie, trying to bat down every shot that I take, not playing offense, not trying to do anything on their own, think of something on their own, collaborate with me to get to the truth, uh, not conducting, in my opinion, not conducting a reasonable investigation, not conducting any investigation. And that is why, if you recall, a while back, I brought a motion with the court to remove Will County as a special prosecutor, saying they were not doing their job. And the court basically said it didn't have jurisdiction over that, unfortunately. So I want to talk a little bit more about set the table here with Will County. 
So that's rule 3.8, the duty of a prosecutor to seek justice. Okay. Back in May, on May 28th, 2021, when I wanted to look at the physical evidence, okay, and Will County had just been appointed in January of 2021. That's when James Glasgow, the state's attorney in Will County, told me the evidence was a complete disaster, quote, okay? And I've talked about this. It was not. It was not a complete disaster. That was a misrepresentation. And I said, well, if it's a complete disaster and it's just, you know, it's just all a mess, what's the harm in letting me look at it? You know, I mean, okay. So he said he wanted to think about it. So the next day, May 29th, 2021, he called me back. And I said, you know, I just, you say it's a complete disaster. I mean, how do I know? I haven't seen it. Let me look at it. And he told me two things, and I think I mentioned this before, that really stunned me. He said, one of the things was, letting me look at the evidence would needlessly inflame people's passions. And he also told me it would just muddy up the local authorities. Can you believe that? What what does that mean? Let, like, can we can we break that down for a second? What does muddy up the local authorities mean? Make them he, look he, bad. Oh, right? okay. okay. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, let let let's not tarnish the reputation of people who did something terribly wrong. Can you believe a prosecutor whose job is to seek justice would be opposed to me looking at the evidence and tell me it's only going to needlessly inflame people's passions? and muddy up the local authorities. Does that make any sense to you at all? You know what this sounds like to me, Andy? Like if if I were taking like a multiple choice test for like a legal ethics class in law school and they're like giving you examples of what not to be like biased by, like that that's it, right? Don't you don't be biased by harming reputation of local law enforcement. I mean oh that's my gosh. that's ridiculous. Oh, I don't want to muddy up the local authorities and bear in mind this, these are local authorities from 60 years ago. Exactly. This is not even Will County's uh, sheriff's office that was involved in this case. I mean, it really makes me wonder what is going on here because this shouldn't be a consideration at all to any state's attorney. And the reason I'm saying this, I'm laying the foundation for, for where we're going to get later in this podcast, but I want people to remember from the get-go, okay, just back in, in, in the summer of 2021, James Glasgow, the state's attorney in Will County, was telling me he didn't want me to look at the physical evidence. It was a complete disaster. And looking at it would only needless, needlessly inflame people's passions and muddy up the local authorities. Okay, so that's, that's what we were dealing with back then. Let's proceed to what I'll call... Needlessly inflame people's passions. Shouldn't we be passionate about the truth and, and seeking justice, even if it's been 60 years, sh shouldn't we be? I mean, isn't, isn't that the whole point of the American justice system is that it doesn't matter the amount of time. It doesn't matter how hard it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, how big the, the, the mountain might seem to climb in the pursuit of justice. Like I, I, I don't under, I just don't understand the sentiment behind any of this. It just does not jive with what we are supposed to do in the American legal system. No, and it doesn't jive with the mandate of Mr. Glasgow's office and Illinois Supreme Court Rule 3.8. The duty of a public prosecutor is to seek justice, not merely to convict. Let's get to the truth. You know what? 
let's roll our sleeves up and work together. And let's, let's find out the truth. If he's so confident Chester Uyghur's guilty, all right, then maybe you'll find evidence proving he's guilty. Let's find out what the evidence is. Let's look. Let's dig. Let's investigate. So that's part one. That's the foundation. Let's go to part two. This is important as well. You know, the, the women were found, I think it was March, uh, was it 16th? I, I'm losing my dates now. Was it March 14th or 16th, 1960? I think they went missing on March 14th and they were found on March 16th. Yeah, I think that sounds right. So a month later, this is April 19th, 1960, I found a newspaper article from the Moline Dispatch in Moline, Illinois. And what it said was researchers from the Eastman Kodak Company of Rochester, New York, said, and this is a quote, eight strands, eight, eight strands of blonde hair were discovered clinging to a glove worn by Frances Murphy, end of quote. That was her left index finger. That's also the finger, if you recall, where the, the autopsy noted the fingertip was removed post-mortem. Okay, now... This, the eight strands of hair is important because what that means is it is not one single solo random hair that somebody wants to argue got there, was already there for some reason, okay? Which, as I've explained, there's no way a random hair that may have been on her glove is still on her glove after the vicious attack she went through and being dragged in the cave and all that. Eight strands of hair is consistent with the hair, Mrs. Murphy struggling with her attacker and yanking out some hair from the person's head. And we know from the hair we tested with genetic genealogy, there was a root on there and follicular material. So the Illinois State Police and the LaSalle County Sheriff's Office knew that those hairs were important. They knew that those hairs belonged to one of the killers. And you know what? Remember, what did they do? back in 1960, they sent one of those eight hairs to the Washington University Medical School for analysis. And the report came back that the hair on Mrs. Murphy's glove was dissimilar to Chester and the three women. Prosecutors knew that result just days after Chester's, I'm using air quotes, confession. Yet that result was never disclosed to Chester or his attorney. So my point is, those hairs are from one of the killers. Is there any, there's no dispute about that. No, I mean, unless, you know, Bigfoot is a blonde and Bigfoot came around and just decided to poke around the crime scene. No, it's got to be from one of the killers. There, there's not a, there is not a scenario that makes sense otherwise. And and I don't think any logical person, and I'd like to believe that those prosecutors and law enforcement at the time were logical people, maybe unethical, but logical people, and they chose to just move beyond it and not bring it to anyone's attention. Yeah, and so think of what they did back then. They had the hairs first analyzed by the Eastman Kodak Company, which is interesting, in Rochester, New York, who commented that there were eight hairs. And then they sent one of the hairs to Washington University Medical School. They wanted, they wanted that to come back to Chester Uyghur, you know? They were, they were convinced it was going to be Chester Uyghur's hair. It wasn't. Uh, I'm not even sure they were convinced of that because I think they all knew the confession when everything was bogus. Um, that's my opinion. 
But it came back dissimilar to Chester, okay? None of that's disclosed to Chester, but the reason they had it submitted was because they knew it was from one of the killers, all right? So that's part two of the foundation of this episode. Let's go to part three. This is really interesting. Genetic genealogy. It's this cutting-edge technology. You described it uh, a couple episodes ago. The top lab in the country that does this is a lab called Othram, based in Texas. And here's something, I think I mentioned this before, but it needs repeating. Guess who Othram has collaborated with to solve, to identify certain cold cases? The Will County Coroner's Office, okay? Not the Will County State's Attorney's Office, who we're dealing with, but the Will County Coroner's Office. And what's amazing is I just found this yesterday. Uh, I'll post this on the podcast website. There's a November 2nd, 2023 article in the Chicago Tribune. Title is Will County Coroner's Cold Case Unit, Othram, Partner to Solve Four Cases Using Forensic Genetic Genealogy. And the results of these four different individuals who, by working together and collaborating using genetic genealogy, they've identified who they were. And I thought, isn't that just amazing? I mean, that, that Othram is collaborating with Will County Coroner's Office, but compare and contrast that to what we're dealing with with the Will County State's Attorney's Office. Clearly, there's, there is a concerted effort or decision on the part of Will County a state's attorney's office to just disregard this because it's it's not like Othram. I mean, just for those that are unfamiliar with uh, with this technology and 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 uh, this organization, Othram is sort of like analogous to. I'm just trying to think who who would be an industry leader in something else, but but basically they're, they're sort of the gold standard, right? Of of this type of technology. So I guess it's like if you wanted a heart transplant and you're like, oh, Cleveland Clinic, right? Like like they're the best. But for genetic genealogy, by far, Othram is the best, and they're already working with the state. So it's not like there's some fly by night organization, right? Who is like doing some sort of quack science that is not trustworthy. This is a, this is already a proven methodology that's been used in multiple other cases. So I this is such baffling to me that this is still getting like shoved under the rug. So let's go to part four, which is fast forward now 60 years. Let's take one of those eight hairs found on Miss Murphy's glove. We send it to Othram for genetic genealogy. And by the way, let me note this for people. I... Andy Hale retained Othram. I, Andy Hale, in pain for that testing. Will Con it wasn't Will County's idea to do that. Will County's been opposed to me doing any testing. And they're not paying for it. I'm paying for it. I'm doing all this proactively. So Othram, who, like you said, these experts, they were able to get a genetic profile on this 60-year-old hair because it had a root and follicular material on it. And they've now gotten to the point where they know that the hair is linked to one of four brothers from, that, were, that were local to the area. And they're now trying to identify which exact brother it is. But for purposes of Chester Weaker, it doesn't matter 
which brother it is, A, B, C, or D, it's not Chester Uyghur. And it's not anybody linked to Chester Uyghur. And so Will County, just to be clear, they know the names of those four brothers. Will County knows there's no link to Chester Uyghur. Let me just throw out a name as an example. You know, a name you heard in the past was Stanley Tucker. That name's come up a lot. You know, one of Chester's friends. It's not like the hair came back to Stanley Tucker and you're like, oh, well, maybe Chester and Stanley did it, you know, or or George Spiros. And maybe, you know, it's it's a name that has no connection to Chester Uyghur at all. And so we've already shown that the hair is from one of the killers. It has to be. It's one of these four brothers, has nothing to do with Chester Uyghur. And that alone, and then you combine it with everything else we've talked about in this podcast, Whitney, ad nauseum. How, how, how in the world is this not enough right now to say, you know what, this is forensic evidence that somebody else committed this murder with probably others, and it's completely inconsistent. It proves Chester Uyghur's innocence. How, how, Whitney, is this not enough? The answer is, is uh, you know, sinister in nature. I think there's a concerted effort at this point to just keep quashing this, to keep suppressing this, to keep trying to just make this go away. Because, back to what you said, it would just needlessly inflame passions and muddy reputations, right? And, and I think, unfortunately, we're at a point where the state's attorney's office, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think giving the most positive spin on this, they're like, well... You know, it's been 63 years. Why why upset people over this? Let's just let this go. That's the most positive spin I can give it. I have all sorts of other theories as to, you know, why else this is happening. But uh, I'll, I will save those lest I also needlessly inflame passions here. But it's baffling to me. It is baffling to me that it, we've gotten to this stage of the game. And, and we're still sitting here talking about the state's attorney's office putting up a fight. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrown. I'm completely thrown by it. This is unprecedented, Whitney. I have never in my 35 years of practice seen a case where you've got a forensic result like this, a forensic result linking somebody else to the crime being ignored and just being, just being, you know, all Will Connie told me was, you know, we're not changing our position. You saw, I think I... On the last podcast, I talked about it. Just got this little email from not even Mr. Glasgow. It was just from one of his uh, other associates. You know, eight words. You know, it's unprecedented. You've got you've got a forensic result identifying somebody else at the crime scene. I, I, I just that is just being ignored. I just, oh my God, Whitney, I just could scream, and. I'm just stunned. I'm just stunned. And it's just, it's just, like I said, it's unprecedented. It's just unprecedented. And that's why I had to have another episode with you to talk about it because last week it was just me. I needed to have a partner, my partner here to kind of, to kind of rant about it. You know, I, I rant about this when we're off air, you know, I mean, I think my, my family hears about as uh, much about this as about any other topic at dinner. And like, my husband is is not an American citizen, right? He's he's a legal resident here now. But this his view of what the American legal system is 
is, I suppose, what you've seen in movies and this pursuit of justice and raised on a diet of law and order dubbed in Spanish for him. But like he he keeps asking me, he goes, is this this is is this really how it is? Is this really how it is in America? And I said, I've got to talk to Andy. I don't want to believe that this is how it is. I want to believe that this is an anomalous case. I mean, what what say you, Andy, to to his question? Is this well, how it is? No, this is not how it is. This this is not this. Like I said, this to me is unprecedented. That's the best word I can use. I mean, I've got a forensic result. I've got essentially a DNA result of somebody, and we've already established. That's why I wanted to take the time to explain eight hairs on the glove a root. Okay. It's not, I mean, it is absolutely from one of the persons involved in the murders. It's not Chester Weger. It exonerates Chester Weger. You know, the Chester Weger confession, like we've talked about, was he's on his break. He comes, it's a, it's a, it's like, it's the most ridiculous confession. Nobody believed it. He's got oh, a botched robbery. The woman attack him. He fights back. He accidentally kills one. He's got to kill all three. Yet, it's a crime of vengeance. You know, there's just, they're beaten to a bloody pulp, okay? And then he goes back to work. I mean, the whole thing is laughable. Tony Reculia said this in that 2010 Illinois Continuing Legal Education video that he didn't believe the confession. I mean, nobody believed it, you know? I mean, and that's what happens in false confessions. People just tell a tale. They're making stuff up. There was evidence back then of multiple offenders, hairs from different people. The twine was cut, you know, on the women, one with a serrated blade, one with a knife. I mean, on and on and on. It's just, I mean, I'm so fatigued by having to continually argue this. And I don't know what else to say, Whitney. I just don't know what else to say. I'm I'm at a loss too, and I, I'm rarely at a loss for words. But but I I think this is one of those situations where everything you're supposed to provide to convince people to believe a certain narrative has been provided, right? Like you said, we have Chester giving a false confession. He doesn't just give a false confession, but he's interrogated by. For, in case anyone has forgotten, uh, not he was not just subjected to the Reed method of interrogation to get that confession. He was with John Reed himself. This is back in 1960. The forensic psychologist that they bring in says, oh, well, you know, he's angry at these women because he's a have not and they're haves. And no, joke. I mean, that, you know, who, who, he, he, what, he, just, he just has a, a psychotic break and in a fugue state walks out there and beats these three women because they're upper middle class women from the suburbs and then goes back to work washing dishes. I mean, Again, it's it's just I, I feel your pain and I feel your frustration and I'm at a loss for constructive words at this point. And that we've talked about before, it's a confession only case. This case today would not even be charged. A state's attorney's office would not even charge somebody with murder in a case where it's only confession. There's no witnesses linking Chester to the crime scene. There's no physical evidence linking Chester to the crime scene. Uh, nothing other than this confession. And let's not forget. It was established a trial. Uh, Dummett lied about this, Deputy Dummett. You know, Chester said he was threatened on the drive back to Chicago repeatedly with, you're going to get the electric chair. You're going to ride the Thunderbolt. You're going to die, basically. We're gonna, you're going you're gonna to get electrocuted. Dummett denied that. He lied at trial. 
State's attorney Craig Armstrong impeached him and said, no, Dummett did say that because Armstrong was in the car. And then when they get back to Chicago, what happens? For the whole month of October, they do a 24-7 surveillance on him. We know this because this Illinois State Police troopers testified to this at the criminal trial. They literally surveilled him 24-7. Then they arrest him without probable cause. Whitney, this is something that gets overlooked. And I actually could get the conviction vacated on this alone. This is part of, it's a pending constitutional violation in my motion to vacate the conviction. On this podcast, I've been arguing innocence. What I haven't really been getting into is the constitutional violations that apply whether somebody's innocent or guilty. You have to have probable cause to arrest somebody. So I can't just come arrest you for murder right now. I have to have some good faith basis, some reasonable belief based on facts that you were involved in the murder. Chester got arrested and served with arrest warrants by that justice of the peace, not a judge, before he had confessed. Let me say that again. Before he had confessed. The only evidence against Chester today is the so-called confession. When he got arrested, he hadn't confessed yet. The arrest was a was a unconstitutional vehicle to get him to the jail to interrogate him, to break him down, to get the confession, which they ultimately did. There was no reason and no basis to arrest Chester. Will County knows all this. And I even submitted an expert report. It's go back to one of the old podcast episodes where we submit the reports of our experts. Uh, a guy named Brian Cutler, Dr. Brian Cutler, talking about false confessions, how it happens, why it happens, what are the factors... Um, you know, somebody who's uneducated, somebody who's young, threats of death, you know, all these factors are present here, you know. And sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation, on and on and on. So, and it's just stunning that, you know, and it's not like Will County is giving me some, you know, robust, full-throated explanation for why they think Chester's still guilty. I mean, they're not explaining anything, you know. They haven't had to explain anything. So, <sighs> that's where we're at, Whitney. That's where we're at today, December 29th, 2023. I know there's people who listen to this podcast, and I think sometimes it's easy as we're as we're going through all of this to forget some of these little absurd details. And, and I want to go back to what you'd mentioned about his arrest warrant being signed by a justice of peace. It was signed by the local grocer who issued fishing licenses, right? So they get an arrest warrant from the guy that normally issues you your fishing license and sells you your, you know, flour and grits or whatever you're buying from the local dry goods, you know, store. And then they go get him and then they deprive him of sleep. And in some reports, threaten his family. And in other reports, threaten, you know, to make him ride the thunderbolt. And in other reports, uh, just subject him to physical abuses uh, that are just heinous and and then this man at 21 years old, which I'm sorry, that's almost, I almost want to say boy, because the farther yeah. I get away from 21, 21 feels so young to me. With a limited education. A, yeah, a boy with a limited a education. Dirt poor family. Yes, is subjected to this. Mm -hmm. And then he says, yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. 
let me go home, let me sleep, don't hurt my family. And then he immediately says, no, I didn't, I didn't. Once he gets to see a public defender, which he didn't have at the time. For 60 yeah. years, Yeah. right? He's put in prison, his family is put through hell. And now at, you know, 63 years on, you have this information that the truth, right? You have the truth, you have DNA, you have a genetic sequence that says that's not his hair at the crime scene. And someone at the state's attorney's office is basically saying, no, nah, I don't care. Yeah. I, what, what Will County has said in court is, we believe the confession. Are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You believe the confession over all this, over everything we talked about? That is really, really unfathomable. That is, uh, that can't be. I mean, that just, that just cannot be. If you're being independent and fair, uh, there's no way. Well, Whitney, it's December 29th. It's kind of like our year in review. This is where we're at. I think 2024 is going to be a good year for us. Uh, I think I, I, on my last episode, I predicted success, and I will predict it again. We will get the conviction vacated. I guarantee it. It's just going to take more time, and it shouldn't have to. We proved the case now. We proved the case months ago. We proved the case a long time ago. Chester Uyghur is going to be 85 in March. In March. The clock is ticking. Time is of the essence. And we shouldn't have to wait for the courts to do this. Will County's got the authority to do it right now. It is their job to seek justice. So we will stay the course. We've got a court hearing January 10th. We've got a status hearing in court. I'll be back in January to talk about what happens at that court hearing uh, we're still trying to identify the specific brother whose hair was found in Miss Murphy. Once we do, and we can disclose that, I'll let people know. So everybody out there, again, thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. Uh, on behalf of Chester and his family, we all appreciate it. Whitney and I as well. I want to wish everybody uh, a happy new year and stay tuned. everybody. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Phineas Ellis and Studio Friends. Design and promotion by Bell and Ivy. I'm your host, Andy Hale, with my co-host, Whitney Braun. We'll see you next time.